4 or Lamentations 4. The title tonight, Jerusalem's Moral Degradation, or you could look at it as Jerusalem's Moral Disgrace. Chapter 4 here, or this fourth lamentation, is a meditation. Jeremiah is sitting in the middle of the ruins and the ashes of Jerusalem. And he's telling us here what he sees. He says, I see the horror of the destruction of my city and my people being carried off into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. It's so terrible and hard to believe that this was God's doing. That this was the work of God. But we need to face up to the fact that God is a righteous judge. And whatever he brings into our life, good or bad, we need to understand that, that it's God's work. And it's done through perfect knowledge. Through his infinite wisdom. And he's a righteous judge and he judges sin just as much as he is a God of love. God judges sin. He has to judge sin. And he's righteous in doing so because he has, like I said, perfect knowledge. Judah didn't receive complete judgment. In other words, they didn't get all that they should have gotten. It's the same with us. We deserve complete judgment. But God is full of mercy. Habakkuk 3.2, Habakkuk said, In wrath, God, remember mercy. And God never forgets to be merciful. Because if he wasn't, we wouldn't be here right now. We wouldn't be here. We'd be where we belonged in hell. Psalm 136 is a thanksgiving song about God's enduring mercy. Psalm 136 has 26 verses, and they all end with the words, His mercy endures forever. There's always a way out for God's people if, if they will come to God, God's way. The psalmist said in Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, oh God, for you, Lord, are God and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. So in this fourth lamentation, Jeremiah used several dramatic images to describe what the people suffered through in the siege and fall of Jerusalem. These calamities had been made known to them already in the terms of the covenant in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. And in those three chapters, God says, if you are obedient, this, this, and this will happen to you. Blessings, good things. But if you're disobedient, he says, this, this, and this, these things that aren't so good will happen to you. So the Jews shouldn't have been surprised when these things happened to them. And it's the same with us. Why are we surprised when God brings his judgment upon us? Is it because we really don't believe he'll do it? Because we really don't believe it'll happen? Is it because we really don't believe in his word? I think a lot of times it's because we don't know what his word says. This lamentation is different from the others because it focuses more on the sufferings of the different classes of leaders like the kings, princes, and prophets. And it says more clearly that the, suffering were, the sufferings were the result of the nation's sins and it closes with a curse 
pronounced on Edom. Verses 1 through 11 covers the memories of better days. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. Lamentation 4. How the gold has become dim. How changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold. How they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Jeremiah here is comparing gold to the precious sons of Zion, that is, the young men. The good young men of Judah were like gold vessels, or who were like gold vessels, they are now as useless as broken clay pots. That's just one of the horrible things about war. A nation loses its finest young man in battle. The average age of the men who went to Vietnam was 19. 19. You know, at 19, I used to think I was, I knew it all. I look back at it now, I was just a kid. I was just a kid. The question here isn't about what material the vessels are made out of, but how they were being used. Are we vessels for the master's use? Are we vessels for the enemy's use? Or are we vessels for our own use? Remember at the wedding in Cana, Jesus asked the servants to bring out those old, worn-out water pots, which it seems, you know, had been stuck back in some corner somewhere until after the wedding. Jesus used those old beaten pots to supply the crowd with wine. He could use those old pots, but first they had to be filled with water. Water is symbolic of the Word of God. When we, like those old water pots, get filled with the Word of God, we can be used by God. Caleb said this to Moses in Joshua 14, 11 through 12. He said to, he said to Moses, as yet, I, uh, as yet I am as strong, I'm sorry, to Joshua, he said, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. He said, now therefore give me this mountain. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Caleb was 85 years old when he said, give me that mountain. Caleb asked Moses for an inheritance in Israel because of his courage and faithfulness over more than 40 years. He asked for a mountain at 85 years old, even though the Israelites had driven their enemies into the mountains where they had built fortresses. But you see, Caleb wasn't trusting on his age or his physical ability or any. Caleb was trusting in his own strength, wasn't trusting in his own strength. He was trusting in God's presence. Caleb wanted to see God's power in his life. He wanted to see God's power, and he knew that he would be less likely to rely on God if he dwelt in easy places. You know, it's when we're in those hard places in life that we look to God. Moses, in Deuteronomy 34, 7, it says of this of Moses. Moses was 120 years old when he died. And it says his eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. You see, when these old water pots are filled with the word of God, God can still use us. But when we're full of ourselves or something else, we're of no value to God. 
We have to be emptied out of anything and everything that's not usable by God. The young men of Judah had been, uh, hadn't been serving God. And now they were just like broken pieces of pottery. What a sad picture this is. Verses 3 and 4. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young. But the cruel daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. The siege in Jerusalem, when Babylon had surrounded Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar, it was a terrible thing. The people suffered tremendously inside the city because they didn't surrender. Instead of surrendering, they held out and they saw their little babies die. During their time of devastation, the people showed their cruelty toward each other. They, they, they treated their children like no animals would do. It says in verse 3. They, they were compared to the ostrich because the nature of an ostrich was to neglect its young. And the parents who were neglecting their young like ostriches did to their young. There wasn't a shortage of water during the siege of Jerusalem. The city was supplied with water. They came into the city through a tunnel that was dug on uh, King Hezekiah's orders from a spring on the outside of the city. The thing it says here, the baby's tongues, it said, cling to the roof of its mouth. Their tongues swelled up because no one bothered to give them anything to drink. There was water, but nobody gave them anything to drink. Or the verse may mean that the mother's milk had failed during the siege. And because food was so scarce in the city, the people ate their own children, according to verse 10. And those who had food, man, they protected that food like junkyard dogs, man. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let anybody have any. They protected that food aggressively, guarded it. They weren't willing to share it with anyone, not even hungry children who are roaming the streets begging for food. These verses are a good reminder that when people get desperate, it can cause them to behave in very vicious and selfish ways. All it takes is the, the, the right circumstances. And a lot of people, oh, how could somebody do that? I could never do that. I tell you what, you just need the right circumstances and there's, there's nothing that you most likely won't do. Verses five and six. We have given our hand to the Egyptians. I'm sorry, that's verse five. Chapter five, okay, verses um, five and six. Those who ate delicacies, are desolate in the streets. Those who are brought up in scarlet embrace as ash heaps. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. The people had lived in luxury. They had had big, you know, markets with a lot of food on the shelves, but now the shelves were bare. They couldn't enjoy the conveniences they once had anymore because they didn't have it at all. Now, have you ever stopped to think what could happen where you live? Just think if those market shelves, which are now loaded with food, were all empty next week when you went to do your shopping. Now, I remember during the time of the COVID, people were buying food like crazy and people were freaking out. And that was nothing compared to what 
you know, the Bible says is going to happen in the last days or in the tribulation period. What if you flipped the light switch on in your house and the lights didn't come on? What if there was no heat, no air conditioning, no gas for your car? A cry of hopelessness that would go out all through the nation. We'd be a helpless bunch of people. That's what happened to Jerusalem here. God judged them. Hey, we see those signs today. We have a glimpse of those things today. We are ripe for this kind of judgment. Every day that God doesn't bring that judgment, he's showing us his mercy and his grace. And this is quite an eye-opening difference between the past and present condition of the people described in verses 5 through 11 here. Those who used to enjoy the finest delicacies now search the streets for scraps of food. People who used to dress in the finest clothes are now searching for food in the garbage dumps. And Judah's punishment is said to be more severe than Sodom and Gomorrah's punishment was. Sodom and Gomorrah's punishment was well known for its wickedness. And Sodom's destruction took place in a moment. But Jerusalem's suffering was long and it was drawn out with no end in sight. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah harshly, but God judged Jerusalem more severely. Why? Well, Jerusalem's sin was worse, Jerusalem's sin was worse than, than Sodom and Gomorrah's sin. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of homosexuality, because it's an abominable sin to God. But there's something worse than that. It's for a man or woman to sit in the church pew and hear the word of God week after week, month after month, and not do anything about it. And that might be true of some people tonight. Reading this book right now. <clears throat> hearing the message of God right now. That Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. And God is merciful to you today. And yet you've rejected him. You've turned your back on him. When God judges us, your judgment will be more severe than for the heathen in a pagan land. You know, when some, a lot of times when, when people are being witnessed to and say, you know, they don't, if you don't know the Lord, you know, God's, you know you're, you're going to receive, you know, uh, and they'll receive the forgiveness of sins. You know, you're not going to make it to heaven. And they'll, they'll always, well, what about those people in Africa or those countries where they've never heard the word of God? Hey, you need to worry about you right here, right now. They're not your worry. You know, how have you, how have you responded to God's offer of grace in Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Because all you have is today. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may never come. So all you have is today. This is very important. Verses 7 and 8. Her Nazarites, again, her speaking of Jerusalem, her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Here we see how religious these people were being. They really looked good in their religion. 
And when people do religion right, they really look good. Jeremiah says, man, our princes once glowed with help, man. They were brighter than snow. They were whiter than milk. He says their faces were as shiny as rubies. Their appearance was like fine jewels. He says, but now because of the ongoing famine, their faces look like faces that have been, have been blackened with soot. No one recognizes them in the streets anymore. It was all outward appearance. Again, religion looks good. You know, we have new churches today, new sanctuaries and technologies, nice facilities where we have nice rooms for banquets and fellowships and, and all of the things that, that people do in churches. It all looks really good on the outside, but is it being used for God's glory or just fun and games? Here, Jeremiah is saying that a Nazarite was one who took a voluntary oath and many did it. They were complimented. Oh, they looked so good. But they were old, the same old wineskins. In other words, it was just an outward look. It was just an appearance. But their hearts weren't changed. And it's, hey, it's wonderful to have nice buildings and all the, right, all the gadgets and, and all the nice furnishings. But it's terrible when the people on the inside are not new creatures in Christ. And that they're still doing the same old sins. You see, that's the picture that Jeremiah is giving us here of the people of Judah. They were religious, but their hearts hadn't changed. They're still doing the same old things. And punishment fell on the nobles as well as the commoners. And the language used here to describe the former and present state of the princes, you know, is a bit is exaggerated. Their former impressive appearance that was compared to snow and the whiteness of milk and, like, and rubies and sapphires, that would have attracted respectful attention wherever they went. But now they walk the streets. They walked the streets. You couldn't tell them from anybody else because they were suffering the same starvation and the same thirst as the poor people. Verses 9 through 11. Those slain by the sword, <clears throat> those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of the compassionate woman have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has filled his fury. I'm sorry. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion and it has, it has devoured its foundations. Even though Jeremiah had witnessed this awful destruction of Jerusalem and those who died, he says he'd rather be dead than alive because of the conditions for those who remained were so terrible. Those who were killed by the sword were better off than those left to die a slow death of starvation. And the horrible description of the lack of food during the siege is described in verse 10. The compassion, the self-sacrifice, and the protective nature and care that a mother would normally have for her child, her children, were, was gone. She was only concerned about one thing. She had only one thing in her mind, and that was saving herself now. Self-preservation. Mothers were committing a horrible, unthinkable act of violence. 
They were cooking and eating their own children. God's wrath had definitely been poured out on Jerusalem with devastating fury. The same, th- t- the same thing took place when Titus destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. The people got so hungry that mothers had to give their own babies to be eaten. And then in verses 12 through 16, these verses covers the sins of the prophets and the priests. Look at verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> the kings of the earth and all inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. Verse 12 also is an exaggeration because the city had been overrun many times before. It says here they couldn't believe that, you know, they had, they had <clears throat> penetrated the city. But its high location and walls made it almost invincible from, uh, to, from a military takeover, as well as its belief that it was a holy city under God's special protection, which gave Jerusalem a false sense of security. Oh, it will never happen to us. And a lot of people have a false sense of security. It took the mighty Babylonian army 18 months to finally get Jerusalem to surrender, but it did eventually fall. And the reason for its fall, verse 13 says, because of the sins of her prophets and her priests, the leaders, who defiled the city by shedding innocent blood. It was God's punishment for the sins of their prophets and their priests. The false priests had given the people unjustifiable confidence by the messages they said they were from God. You guys are going to be okay. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. You know, and they said this message is from God. The priests failed to teach the people the word of God. They didn't rebuke the people when they sinned. So the leaders were blamed for the bloodshed that had overtaken Jerusalem. Verse 13 should be understood that those in leadership positions have a greater accountability than others. The false prophets and the priests did not tell the people the truth. They didn't speak the word of God. So that makes them guilty of murder. That's the way God sees it. A preacher who won't preach the word of God and tell the people how they might be saved is put in this category. I didn't say that. God said it. God says, if you don't give out the word of God, you are guilty. God says in in Ezekiel, we are watchmen. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. God dresses Ezekiel as the son of man. He says, son of man, I have made you, Ezekiel, a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth. And listen to what I have to tell you, Ezekiel. You give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And and you, Ezekiel, you don't give him any warning, nor you speak to warn the wicked from their wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. You will be responsible for their blood because you didn't tell them what I told you to tell them. But if you warn the wicked... And he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because you did not give him warning. 
He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. We have... That's what our role, and we, we, we looked at that in, our, in the first part of Ephesians last week. Your calling to tell people about the word of God. He saved us to share the word of God, to be witnesses. Look at verses 14, and 16, 14 through 16. They wandered blind in the streets. They have defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. They cried out to them, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, They shall no longer dwell here. The face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests. No sure favor to the elders. The wicked prophets and priests, they have now been exposed. They've been, now the people have found out what they did not do. They didn't share the word of God with them. Now the people are rejecting them. The problem was stated clearly in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 9, where it said, Jerusalem's gates have sunk into the ground. He has smashed their locks and bars. Her kings and princes have been exiled to distant lands. Her law has ceased to exist. Her prophets receive no more visions from the Lord. The priests and the prophets, they, they they used to be honored. They were once honored and respected. And they were respected for being responsible for the law and for visions, but they came, became despised as though they had leprosy now. And they were forced to go from one place to another because no one wanted to be around them. Jeremiah says the face of the Lord had scattered them. His anger had scattered them. And they no longer enjoyed God's protection or the respect of the people. Elders were also uh, included in the condemnation in chapter uh, Lamentations 2.10. The people didn't pay any attention to the priests who were giving out the word of God. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. They didn't pay attention to him at all. So God judged them for that. He judged the people for that. And it's going to be the same with this nation. God's word has been preached for centuries. And it's been rejected just as long. And God will judge those people for rejecting the word of God. Verses 17 through 20. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. Talking about Egypt. They tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over for our end had come. Verse 19, our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under this shadow we shall live among the nations. Verses 17 through 20 covers their useless search for help. During the siege of Jerusalem, they placed their last hope on Egypt to help them. But King Nebuchadnezzar quickly drove the invading Egyptian army away. Nobody else offered to help Jerusalem. Neighbors like Edom were happy over Jerusalem's downfall. Survivors, they were afraid to go out into the streets because they were afraid to be arrested. 
So there was no escape from those who fled the doomed city. It says here, notice, because the pursuers were swifter than the eagles of heaven. They were chased down and they were caught. King Zedekiah, though he was called the breath of our nostrils and the anointed of the Lord, he was a wavering and corrupt king. King Zedekiah brought death and not life, and he proved to be no protection at all. And he was like the others in history. He only thought of saving himself in those last moments of defeat. But he, even he, wasn't able to escape. The people had put their trust in the family of David as well as the temple and the prophets and the priests, but they failed to put their trust in God. And God was the only one who could, who could, who could have saved them. The psalmist said in Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12, Give us help from trouble, for the help of, give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. The psalmist said in Psalm 20, verse 6 and 7, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And then 2 Samuel twenty two thirty 30 says, For by you, God, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Now let's close with verses 21 through 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. Verses 21 through 22 covers Edom's coming judgment. These verses are to help remind us just how bitter the hostility was between Edom and Israel. It, matter of fact, it was a rivalry that goes all the way back to their ancestors Esau and Jacob, who were even at war, even in their mother's womb. Edom was located southeast of Judah in an area called Uz, and Edom refused to help Judah against the Babylonians. And as a reward for their keeping the peace and for helping during the last days of the campaign, King Nebuchadnezzar gave the rural areas of Judah to the Edomites. The words rejoice and be glad should be understood as mocking sarcasm. For example, uh, rejoice when you can, guys, because your rejoicing is not going to last for long. Your punishment is just around the corner. And the word, uh, the, speaking of the cup in verse 21, the cup is often used for God's uh, wrathful judgment in the scriptures. And as a sign of restored divine favor, God's restoration, Zion or Jerusalem was comforted that his punishment and exile would end in verse 22. Israel had drunk the bitter cup of God's wrath because, again, they didn't listen to the prophet's word as they spoke to them of the word of God. So again, Israel had drunk the bitter cup of God's wrath for their disobedience to the word of God. But one day, Jeremiah says, that cup would be handed down to Edom. Edom would experience the same thing that Jerusalem did. And her time of judgment would come. So Edom could expect that its day of judgment was just around the corner as well. And it will be a righteous destruction. Again, because again, God is righteous and he's perfect in knowledge. Your sin will be discovered and it will be punished. 
And the Bible says all the hidden works of darkness will be brought to light. You cannot hide anything from God. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for showing us, Father, the pain and the suffering and the devastation connected to the rejection of your word, God. Not listening to your word, Father. Not receiving your love and your mercy. Maybe God's word has spoken to you tonight, recognizing that I need Christ. I need forgiveness of sins. I need Jesus in my life. Going to church and sitting in the pew week after week, day after, month after month. That's just religion. Religion won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. If God has spoken to your heart tonight, And you realize, I need Christ. I need to make a decision now. As Paul said, now is the time. Today is the day. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow may never get here. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, just as we're praying, lift up your hand real quick and put it back down, and then we'll pray afterwards. Anybody at all? God's Spirit spoke into your heart and said, hey, you know what? You need Christ. And we all do. Regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, good or bad, we need Christ. Jesus saves sinners, of which we are all sinners. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercies, Lord. And Father, we pray that Father, there are those here that um, want to receive you, God, that they would just say a simple prayer of faith to you, Lord. Admitting, confessing that they are sinners. Wanting to receive forgiveness of their sins by asking you to forgive them. Cleanse them and wash them from all of their sins and to fill fill them with your spirit, Lord. And to begin walking after you and following you every day of their life. And to praise you and to honor you and to glorify you for dying for them on the cross. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Next.